the Six Figure Developer Podcast, the podcast where we talk about new and exciting technologies, professional development, clean code, career advancement, and more. I'm John Calloway. I'm Clayton Hunt. And I'm John Ash. With us today is Fahim Memnon and Facundo Gauna. Fahim is a seasoned architect with hands-on experience in application engineering. Facundo is a solutions architect specializing in Kubernetes on Azure. Welcome to both of you. Thank you. Happy to be here. Yeah. Uh, so, guys, uh, before we get started, uh, would you maybe give a little bit of a brief introduction to yourself to help our listeners sort of learn about who you are? Um, maybe just like start with sort of what what got you started in the industry. How about we start with Fahim? Thank you, Ash. So what got me started in the industry? It really is a love at first sight kind of relationship with technology that I have. Like in the, after finishing my high school, I had some time. Like I, I was in high school in Pakistan, right? So high school there is basically after your 10th grade, which is, you know, different all levels. So I got like four or five months and I there was an institute nearby. They had 386 computers and DOS 6.22 running on those machines. And I was like, okay, I'm going to spend my you know vacation here. And uh, to learn DOS and I think basic, GW basic and Microsoft basic, it was this King Kong game and Snake game. We just play those games and really got started there. Uh, Basic was my first kind of uh, real, um, you know, programming experience there. And then got into C, but professionally, when I started, when I was like, when I started my undergrade, I actually started doing Visual Basic. I learned, I like found an old book of Visual Basic 5 and then quickly kind of read because I was from the basic, you know, background. So just quickly, you know, making these database applications for customers. I found a couple of customers in the market giving me like, like you know, uh, sandwich money to make software for them, really. <laughs> um, so that's where I started. And slowly, you know, I just, you know, kept on doing more uh, and more programming. Once I finished my bachelor's, uh, got a start in a company um, in Pakistan, Islamabad, worked there for almost uh, four years and then came over here, kind of the same thing. Cool. How about you, uh, Facundo? Cool, yeah. I, I took on programming essentially during college. But my first job after college was essentially a, a junior developer as a .NET developer, right? So I did a whole lot of development on you know creating IS websites, WCF services, de- desktop apps using was it, uh, WCF and the, the other older technologies as well. So I spent a whole lot of time you know creating basic server-side web applications for enterprises, and then gradually moved into Angular and single-page applications where I happened to stumble into the consultancy world and the DevOps world at the same time. Yeah, that, uh, how did that kind of bring you to where you guys are doing today? So today, for myself, I'm a solutions architect, and I work at a boutique consultancy firm where we help customers adopt Kubernetes. And myself, I specialize on helping customers adopt Kubernetes and Azure. Same, pretty much so. A couple of years ago, Boxboard, they reached out to me and I was looking for a job. 
because I was doing con- government contracting for 10 straight years. And I was like, I'm going to do something different now. Maybe do some some real challenging work. And they reached out to me because of my .NET experience. They had a gap of somebody who knows Windows and Microsoft ecosystem. They had a bunch of like AWS and Linux you know, folks on, on the team. So I saw that sounded like a great opportunity to learn something completely different that I have um, not done. It was the I never even worked on Docker Container before joining Foxfold. <laughs> so just did a quick uh, ramp up, and now uh, kind of in the same boat as Facundo, you know, just helping customers um, adopt, you know, DevSecOps best practices, you know, do CI/CD best practices, and then also adopt and and accelerate their Kubernetes in 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 a containerization path. So if it's on-prem or is it in cloud, I focus on the Azure cloud. Um, in AKS, but we do all kinds of you know things in that in that space. Yeah, that's a that's a funny story actually. Um, I'm actually kind of recent to the company that I'm working with at Fahim, and the way I met Fahim was through an event. And then this event, he was asking a lot of really cool questions about Kubernetes. I was like, wow, this this guy sounds like he's doing a whole lot of Kubernetes, right? And at the time, I was essentially just an Azure consultant helping clients with all sorts of services on Azure. And I saw this very strong need for Kubernetes and people just really struggling to adopt it because it was so hard compared to the other services on Azure. So essentially, I just wanted to focus on it and help more people with that strong pain point that I was seeing across the industry. So I wanted to specialize and focus just on Kubernetes and Azure. And you know, I connected with Fahim and then things went on from there. Yeah, it was uh, Facundo's you know initiative. He he reached out to me, just contacted me on LinkedIn, and then I think he was asking questions about um, he was doing uh, AKS certification, uh, not not AKS CK CKA certified Kubernetes administrator certification, and it was like this guy is good in Azure because he has a blog, writes about it so much, and then he's like learning Kubernetes. This is a perfect fit for you know, what we do. So like you know. No brainer if he's interested, and I'm glad he was. And it's been great working with him. What does that path look like? Both of you with a, a background in in .NET development. What does that path look like from .NET to transitioning into cloud native using Kubernetes, using Docker, and and what are those challenges that you see .NET developers having in learning and adopting things like Kubernetes? I think personally, it's a very long path depending whether you start from. Like if you're starting from enterprise legacy applications hosted on IAS, I think it's a whole lot of learning ahead of you. You know, especially if you have to rethink about how you write applications from, you know, ASP.NET to ASP.NET Core, then how do you containerize it? And then how do you use a CI CD platform to publish your container images? Then all the way to how do you create your cluster and deploy the application on top of it? There's so much to learn; it's almost overwhelming. I'm going to back up with the Kundo here. Absolutely, I think you know, going from a, a .NET developer, a lot of steps. But but as soon as you see that people that made switch from .NET framework to .NET Core, they already saw a difference that the IES was cut off. Right before that, you were like Visual Studio is your world, and then you publish a button and then iOS it takes over. You never get to see what happens behind the scenes. Yeah, you know, this is your world. But once you go into .NET Core, you realize there is another server that you can run that can run your you know .NET code. 
So I think that kind of splits your mind into like there's more to it. And then once you get your head around those um, Keystrill and other, you know, HTTP servers and fun stuff, and then you start getting into, okay, so this means I can run this as a process, no IAS. Um, I think that's kind of a good segue into it. So .NET Core really enables it. And people who are going from .NET Framework to containers directly, are, I think they would have even harder time to translate everything from the container world into Microsoft container world. That's an even a harder path. So it is definitely worth looking into that transition into .NET and then breaking it down and then going from there, you know. Um, so it is a different world uh, of learning Docker and learning, you know, some of these concepts. Yeah, it's almost like a, a culture change as well that you have to make on your own. Like I remember I, I used to picture myself writing code and I would use lots of tools. Like the IDE would do everything for me. I would use ReSharper. I would use, you know, write a whole lot of unit tests. And it would, everything just kind of came to me. And it was really easy. SQL Server Management Studio was pretty easy as well. Click, click, click. Here a new table, right? You can even throw other tools on top of it, like the Redgate tools, and make it even more easy. But in the cloud native world, it's almost like you pick your own ingredient for everything because everything is open source. So you can pretty much swap in and out any piece of component that you want. And so the, there's a lot of gluing pieces together and there's a whole lot of like almost mind shift change I have to do to, to fully embrace the new world. If someone is getting trying to get into that, uh, what, what are the steps that you would sort of recommend them taking so that they can take off those bite-sized chunks that allow them to sort of move, you know, and migrate those applications. Uh, moving to .NET Core, introducing Docker, you know, changing maybe your workflow with like something like Compose. And then when does even Kubernetes like come into the picture? I think there's a, a couple of avenues, actually. Like, for example, if you were to deploy to a cloud provider, you don't have to use Kubernetes to deploy your container. Like on Azure, you can use other types of services like Azure Web Apps for Container or Azure Container Instances. So you could take it almost bite-sized at the infrastructure level. Um, on the other hand, you have to consider what you know and where you are in terms of skill sets to that, right? So if you know only C-sharp and TypeScript, then maybe you should pick up a, a scripting language as well to kind of... Uh, extend the way that you deploy your applications and, and essentially do configuration, right, when you deploy your application on top of Kubernetes. That's exactly right. So see how Fukundo quickly separated the, the app into pieces, as in, like, what's your configuration look like? How are you compiling or building your application? You get away from your Visual Studio more into these end-to-end lifecycle of your application, right? So it's not just application now. Even if it's, you know, whatever language or tool that you have, right? So expanding into scripting, like you said, right? So, so go to like CLI more, see if you can build your application without Visual Studio, right? So that's kind of the path that you go to the CLI link closer to that. Use the tooling outside of that one GUI ecosystem so you get closer to building script. So one of the things that I always, you know, had, because I kind of like started my career in such a way that I early on, I was building and, you know, working with these customers and like, you know, packaging my Visual Basic software. I figured out I can create an installer from Visual Basic. Apparently there was this, you know, Visual Basic 6 installer and I can give an installer to people. And I, I like that interface. So I kind of thought about this is the application. What is the end-to-end lifecycle of this? How is this going to be deployed? What are the, the things that you think about, you know, if you have like 
if you used Vix or any other install, install installers, like install shield, there's used to be big in Visual C++, right? If you're thinking like along the lines of where this piece of software is going to live eventually, what are the steps? Then it starts coming to your mind that, you know, packaging, what does application packaging look like? And that's packaging is where Docker comes in. It kind of makes it easier for you, really helps you. So start moving into more of the CLI tools, learn the scripting, separate, you know, understanding configuration as in like development configuration and testing configuration. Whatever you're using, I think if you like get closer to these tools and it's going to be like the world is going to start making sense to you and you'll be like, oh, I need something like this. And you'll like epiphany, Docker does that for me, right? That's the best way to kind of get into that. It seems like we went from we have our, our monolithic application in Visual Studio. We right-click publish locally or, or right-click publish to a, a server on our network. Then we moved to the cloud and, and maybe we right-click published to Azure. Then we figured out we needed pipelines to build and run tests and, and deploy to our cloud servers and, and our cloud application instances. Then we figured out that maybe we want to containerize our applications and that doesn't necessarily mean taking my MVC application and putting it in a container and then running that, it means designing for for a cloud-native application. Is that kind of what we're talking about here? I think that's one path, actually. I think there's many different ways you could do it. I think the, the, key, the key limitation, or I think the, the main thing you should think about is how many new technologies you adopt at once. Like, don't try to do everything at once and try to do Docker for the first time, CI, CD for the first time, Kubernetes or even the cloud for the first time all at once, that's going to be too much. Going back to your example, John, I mean, you could have a CI CD pipeline deploy your uh, monolithic application on premises. That's totally doable. And you can have scripts that configure the application, you know, afterwards. And that's, that could be your single point of entry to learning just CI CD isolated from any other technology, right? So if I can play uh, devil's advocate for just a second, as a nine to five application developer, generally the hypothetical me uh, would write my application, submit it to QA, and then I'm done. I, I don't care how it gets to to the internet. That's ops job or, or, or the new DevOps job, right? Is there any benefit for a developer in that mode of operation to learning some of these tools or is there a benefit to having these tools in play for that developer that's a good question i think it depends on the journey of the company based on my experience with customers a lot of times you won't see the typical devops engineer so it becomes a responsibility of some lead developer kind of taking that initiative on their backs right and, and trying to make it happen on their own. And then eventually they might get some support because the business gets value out of it. Like the question right there, you said like lead developer is going to take it on. Do you want to be the same developer for five years or do you want to keep progressing and learning new things? I, I don't think I've not seen any developer who's a good developer and always not learning something to become a senior developer, to become a lead developer. And once you become that, that's basically not just doing you know, implementing this in the code, but also thinking, what does the design look like? What is going to be like the upgrade look like when I go into the, what is like database migrations look like for this, right? So you start answering those bigger questions, then you become senior. That means that your underlying technology, you're very comfortable with .NET Core, 
and whatever you know entity framework has to offer. But now you are looking for how is this going to be deployed eventually? You know, what is this DevOps? Uh, people are asking me, what is this? You know, um, other like agile. How do I make this agile so that I can like you know churn out more versions? What is version management? So you start thinking about end to end once you are a lead developer. So I, I guess as you progress through your career, um, this does this is going to come into your path, and um, eventually you will have time and you'll have resources to look at it. And these these conversations have changed pretty significantly over the, the last few years. I mean, the developers that are writing the code are no longer the the people in the basement that you feed pizza and, and soft drinks to, right? We're involved in the in the conversations on gathering requirements, piecing together the applications on figuring out the deployment stories, on security, on maintenance, on on maybe sunsetting. What does it look to take an application out of production? So with that, I mean, we're, we're looking into things like infrastructure as code and making those deployable through pipelines. Yeah, I agree. I think the worst thing that you could do is, as a developer, just kind of throw over cluster or infrastructure over the wall to operations and just say, here, I want to use this new shiny thing, right? It, it, be- it really becomes a collaboration between developers and operations to drive towards an end goal. For example, I, I worked with a customer once that they had this really monolithic system running on IaaS on-prem, and it was just not scaling, right? So they wanted to go to Kubernetes to leverage some of the scalability features and some of the reliability features. And given their use case, they had to work together between developers trying to refactor their applications to work with the monolith, but also as a microservices .NET Core-based architecture. And from the operations perspective, they had to deploy the new Kubernetes infrastructure to host these applications. It was a very, very collaborative effort that it was just not feasible without that type of, type of collaboration. When you were talking about sort of those first steps, the, the th- what, you met, what you mentioned was sort of, sort of moving out of that Visual Studio workflow and saying, hey, okay, let's maybe add a scripting technology. Is the reason why you did that because in thinking about containerization, uh, Windows containers by themselves are not really there yet. They're, 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 they're definitely not as competitive as the Linux containers. And when you're developing, most .NET developers are you know working in that Visual Studio, you're on Windows. Uh, and so even building the application, the application runtime is actually be built using a different OS, and it has to be built to be running on a different OS uh, if it's going to run inside of Docker. So, and then that Docker definition is that Docker file sort of like a, uh, it's like a script, right? That actually builds those steps, those steps out. So getting that scripting language helps you understand how, how do I build my step? How do I build my application in a sort of script manner? And then uh, that sort of opens you up to, putting this into Docker and saying, allowing it to run in a no, another OS being built inside of another OS and for another operating system that you're not used to. So how, how do you, from a .NET Windows developer, sort of switch over to that sort of Linux and deal with the, that, that Linux bash mindset? So I can talk about my experience, but essentially... Many years before I knew I, I wanted to switch into the cloud-native world, I saw it as an upcoming trend. I took the decision to learn scripting really well, and I, I learned PowerShell, and I used it on Windows almost on my day-to-day. 
there's even a Pluralsight course, I think, called PowerShell for Developers. And that kind of forced me to essentially think about everything in terms of commands and how it can modify things in terms of commands. Because what you won't get in containers is the user interface or the GUI, right? You won't be able to modify the registry by just going to the system preferences. You're going to have to do everything scripted in a way that you know it's compatible with immutable infrastructure. Now I'm going to piggyback on it. I mean, for example, .NET CLI. I mean, it's gotten really robust now. So rather than everything in there, you can use .NET CLI. You can use uh, like in PowerShell. Uh, you know, there's very nice scripting in PowerShell, and then uh, SQL Server now has a SQL Server CLI, which is I think pretty cool. IES is IES ADM command, I think. So, so whatever you're doing, I think you can find a CLI command for it. Uh, PowerShell making a registry change in PowerShell is so easy. It's like a path you could go in and say, "This is my path," and the database is different. So definitely, I think if you start with just the CLIs and then do like simple PowerShell scripting, that is a a, a very nice uh, gateway. And then on on containers, uh, the one thing that I like is imitate. You don't have to be expert to do something. You know, start imitating because you you know if your core job is to run Docker containers, then you need to know it. But if it's like <laughs> something you're learning. Then imitate, see like what's out there. There's a there's a tons of good documentation available from Microsoft, from Docker, from a bunch of people. Go and try to run those things. Just like try and experiment with it and see how it's doing it. Try to like break it down and decode it versus going from like, I'm going to go, you know, learn the ABCs first and do this. Like just follow a tutorial and break it down and try to understand it, right? Docker Desktop. If you're on Windows or Mac, you know, Docker Desktop is, is a very good product and makes it so easy. comes with a GUI interface, but don't use GUI. Use the CLI again. You know, if you want to, like, create a Docker file, right-click in your Visual Studio, and I think there's, like, a command now which can just spit out a Docker file for you. A lot of instances now, people are moving away from Docker file, too. Like, it's still, like, very dominant in the industry. Don't tell my colleagues, but... But people are like moving away to these uh, like build packs or something else, which would automatically create a Docker image for you without a Docker file based on like Maven or based on your um, CSProj instructions, right? So, so it doesn't, I mean, it's uh, don't worry about, oh, I have to learn 50 things. Just follow a tutorial and then make something feel good about it. And then just, you know, start breaking it down like what is really happening behind the scenes, right? That is for me, it's like the best thing, yeah. To that point, I mean, I've created uh, applications containerized in my right-click at Dockerfile or right-click deploy to Kubernetes, right? And the stuff that it's generated sometimes is confusing, and that will kind of force you to look at it, inspect it, play with it, and figure out what it's trying to really do. I think the the danger of just going with the default vanilla things is that if you ever want to leave the box, right, it, you won't be able to modify it or extend it. You know, if you have a production issue and there's some type of permissions issue that you don't understand because it's the Linux you know, file system, then you're going to run into trouble. So that's where the fundamentals come in. There's something interesting that I, I thought I would, I would look up uh, hypothetically uh, while you guys were talking about PowerShell. Ash had mentioned that you know, Linux was the predominant Docker environment. And you know, we all know that you can get Bash on Windows either through the, um, the subsystem or like Git Bash, right? Something I didn't know is PowerShell is actually open sourced and available on Linux. That it is, yeah. Yeah, you could have you could have PowerShell in your Docker container doing stuff for you if you already know that scripting language. A few years ago, I actually automated some of my 
pieces of my job away by essentially running a PowerShell core task on Azure Container Instances and just like triggering these automated jobs using PowerShell. I would never do that at a customer today, but that was just a kind of an example of how I could push myself to use scripting as opposed to using a C-sharp container or TypeScript or whatever else, right? That was all I had. PowerShell's on Linux. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, PowerShell on Mac too. So PowerShell, PWSH, that's like a global, it's the only universal uh, interpreter available at this time, you know? Really runs on uh, anywhere you go. And once you, if you learn PowerShell, those are skills are right now. I would think that's like way good skill to have PowerShell scripting. Absolutely. Yeah, or or Bash as well, right? I actually, um, I run a VM on my Windows laptop. And the reason for that, it's a Linux VM, right? But the reason for that is to really immerse myself in that world because uh, I don't want to be like half seas in, half seas out. <laughs> I, so, for example, like when I learned English many years ago, when I immigrated to this country, I had taken English classes before coming to this country. But when I got here, I did not know what people were saying to me. And the only way I could actually learn is by immersing myself in the culture. So. Um, I'm kind of doing the same thing with cloud native is really immersing myself in the Linux culture. And I'm going to put away the, the, the Windows terminal for, for some time. And you both have said that you work primarily with your clients to help them get up to speed and, and containerize their applications and, and help them migrate or, or be successful in the cloud, mostly using Azure. But But what about Azure and or AWS? I mean, Containerizing applications and, and putting them in Docker and, and running in Kubernetes means that if, if we containerize this, we can effectively run this anywhere. Do you take into consideration the the cloud provider when you're putting together your infrastructure as code? Are you using ARM templates? Are you using Terraform? Are you using something else? A um, lot of Terraform lately. I do worry about the cloud provider because it seems like each cloud provider has their own philosophy and they have their own flavor of doing things like Azure is very much like you know the Visual Studio paradigm of making it really easy for you to get going, and you don't have to worry about the low level details. Where I'd, AWS is kind of the the inverse. But how about like AKS versus EKS? How do you see that? Do you think that that applies to that too? Even the Kubernetes, even at just the the high level of just interfacing with AWS is kind of very much infrastructure level, right? Like you have to pick the default region. As opposed to Azure, where it just kind of handles, you know, which region you want to deploy your things into. So there are some differences. I don't think you can truly be cloud agnostic. I think you can be cloud portable and think about how you can move your application between cloud providers at some point. But there's there will be some rework at some point. I, I agree. I think there's always some um, some major glue that you know you need to you need to know. And the Terraform. I mean, I love Terraform. Like Fukunda said, you know, well, I mean, if I would apply like vSphere, change anything anything on vSphere, you're deploying your VMs, Nutanix, um, you know, on-prem stuff, and then in the cloud too. So whatever you're doing, Terraform is amazing. That's one of the tools that I think used the most after I would say the containers and Kubernetes. Terraform is like, you know, always comes first and then later comes the kubectl manifests and, and Docker files. And that brings up the most important question. Is it kubectl or is it kubectl? <laughs> oh yeah. Kubectl. There's going to be a fight here. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, there's another one. Is it cube cuddle? So there's also like cuddleism, like cuddling with somebody. <laughs> and uh, that's true. I mean, it's a. I thought this graphics where you have like cube CDL, the the brain kind of starts lining up, and the cuddle like got the lights shining from your brain out. So, <laughs> um, I mean, whatever is uh, whatever you feel like the day that day, you know, if you are having trouble with it, call a cube CDL. Distance yourself from it. <laughs> if you like it, say going good. It's cube cuddle that day. I personally call it cube CDL though. Yeah, I always uh, call it kubectl. Un- unfortunately, I'm prone to type kubectl, and of course, it can't find anything, so I have to <laughs> alias that, as, which is probably not a good idea. But <laughs> <laughs> why fix the typo? <laughs> what uh, What about folks who might want to be getting started in transitioning their apps? Any anything that we talked about, like uh, .NET Core, getting started with uh, PowerShell scripting? getting started with Docker, getting started with Kubernetes, or Terraform for that matter. Do you have any resources or anything that you might be able to point people in directions that would be like a good jumping off point for them? Microsoft has a lot of really good almost workshops. I think, um, don't remember quite the link we could put on the show notes, but they, they have an AKS workshop to walk you through essentially deploying infrastructure on AKS and just walking you through deploying the Redis database, I believe. I think Docker also has good documentation. If you go to docs.docker.com, they have a, like if you're containerizing .NET apps, so they have like manifests and then go into the description of the manifest. So so you can learn from that too. That's like a very good starting point. Microsoft is, I feel like they have exactly same manifests and their docs.microsoft.com as well. So if you're containerizing, um, go look up like what is Microsoft's event to get started um, and then just go from like one step at a time, like Fakunda said, you know. Learning the .NET CLI, going on to like okay, NuGet packages, and then slowly, it does have very good documentation. Um, they they have the learning path thing that Microsoft has that Fakuna was talking about. They have tons of learning paths too. I think that's also a good way to get started. Generally, if you want to learn about containers, um, one of the content that I love is Mamshad Manamad. He has a YouTube channel too, so I think he has like a couple of hours of like Docker introduction and just fundamentals and. If you like, feel like really immersing one day kind of in it, Mamshad has a ton of good content. Um, I just you know love what he puts out. I just thought of a couple more resources. There's Katakoda, which is essentially you can take bite-sized examples and do tutorials on how to use Kubernetes and Docker. And there's also, if you want to take it very seriously, you could try to achieve the Certified Kubernetes Application Developer Certification, this CCAD. And that one's very ho- focused on creating deployments and how do you essentially, you know, package your application to work on on Kubernetes raw manifest and you know, how do you do configuration management, secrets management, all that stuff. So that could be a, a nice little push for yourself to get actually a nice little certification and get some hands-on experience and force yourself to to learn the material. So for both of you, what has been helpful in your careers that you might share with those just getting started or maybe those looking to level up their own careers? Um, I would say take your time, learn a few things at a time, use them well. You resist the urge on the shiny object syndrome and think about who you're deploying this software for and who's going to maintain it so that it's not just an application that you're going to be deployed for you and your team. There's other people involved in the project as well, like operations, security, and all those aspects. So 
think about the the project holistically. Yeah, I think he stole a couple of points from what I'm going to say without knowing it. So think about holistically. Definitely think about end-to-end, like, okay, you're making this. Who's going to use it? How is this going to be deployed? Uh, things like that. I think it does, if you have that perspective on software and, and think about, like, it's going to come back and I'm going to do V2 off it. So if you have that perspective, I think that helps. And then other thing that is very important is to never, like, you know, be really... Don't marry a technology. Technologies change very rapidly. So if you are into those arguments, like this is better <laughs> than this, that you're you're investing a lot of energy in that conversation. You know, look at the value of what it's providing, and then move on from one technology. You you have a technology, you have a solution, you make something, you find something better, move on. So always be ready to find something better, something cooler. I think that keeps me going personally. That um, that I, I'm always open to learn new technologies um, and and listen to new ideas. Like I'm not married to anything. And I feel like a lot of people have a lot of good ideas, and I really want to benefit from the you know knowledge that everybody has, rather than just saying you know. I, but what I thought of is the best thing in the world. I think it's a recipe for disaster. So so keep open. Don't marry technology. Uh, technology is change, and then uh, one thing at a time, like Facundo said and be holistic. Where might our listeners go to follow you and just like keep up with you what, what, what you're working on? For myself, I try to blog quite a bit on gaunaco.com. So that'll be G-A-U-N-A and then code.com. And I just blog about Kubernetes and Azure and just kind of the experiences and the problems I'm tackling at the time. I am actually bad at helping community. And this is why <laughs> I'm like, like I want to jump and doing um, uh, something nice. And that's why I jumped on this podcast. And thank you guys for having me. Uh, but basically, at Twitter, at Fahim, is the best way to follow me and then um, get in touch with me if you have any questions. And then I, I started posting stuff on LinkedIn too. But I, I plan on having Twitter as my main Twitter and GitHub, you know, Fahim556. Um, I couldn't find Fahim um, in, in LinkedIn, uh, in GitHub, if it was taken. Um, but at Fahim and Twitter was available. A lot of Fahims out there. I don't know. So, uh, so yeah, Twitter is the best way uh, to to be in touch and ask any questions and follow up. Fahim Fagundo, thanks for taking the time to speak with us today. Yeah, thank you for having us. Thank you for having us. Yeah, that was Fahim Maman and Fagundo Ghana. Fahim is a seasoned architect with hands-on experience in application engineering, cloud containerization, automation, and mobile technologies. Facundo is a solutions architect specializing in Kubernetes on Azure. If you like this episode, please like, rate, and review on iTunes. Find show notes, blog posts, and more at sixfiguredev.com. Catch us live each week on Twitch, and be sure to follow us on Twitter at SixFigureDev. This has been another episode of the Six Figure Developer Podcast, helping others reach their potential. I'm John Calloway. I'm Clayton Hunt. And I'm John Ash. <laughs>